0: In a world of what are yous, welcome to the place where the answer is always human. My name is Natalie, and you're listening to Some Kind of Brown, a podcast about mixed and multiracial life, current events, and ways to build the best life by a southern girl who's trying to figure it out for herself. friends and potential lovers have you ever felt so passionately after watching a tv show or a movie but not have a pal to share it with allow us the honor of keeping your company with our weekly podcast for your reference with your hosts kt and ot each episode we break down our hot takes that you'll either ardently agree or vehemently disagree with like, subs versus doves. How important is a cohesive narrative? What's with the popularity of the relatable villain? Is it possible to be truly objective in spite of your own experiences? And most importantly, are you getting a clue and which direction is it pointing? Come on now, it's pointing towards for your reference. That's a great reference. If you've got a little room in your rotation for some salacious frivolity, check out for your reference wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, my beautiful, colorful people. We're back, as promised, with part two of When They See Us. If you've been following my social media, I said that I will be giving a little more of a break between watching the show and recording this episode. If you made it through part one with all of my crying, you're a trooper. I didn't know how I would react to the show, how much it would hit me, having already known the story going in. So I come to you now with part two, back to my normal self, or more so then. Probably not going to make very many jokes, but I'm back with my typical candor and a lot to say. I don't read any reviews, any news about this show before I watch it, which also means I don't read the blurbs. So I wasn't really expecting the six-month time jump that came between part one and part two why they're called parts kind of makes sense now. I'm not going to give so much of a play-by-play like I did in the first episode, which I did kind of out of shock. I'm really going to be reflecting on what happened in this episode, giving my opinion, because as you'll hear, there's something oddly poignant and relevant to what's happening in the United States right now in this episode. The episode opens with B-roll of a field with audio playing, actual audio from the time of fear mongering that was happening in the media. Accusations, poverty, no father, civil unrest, trying to paint these boys as these monsters that had been created out of a community that is sick. That was the kind of narrative these reporters are crafting. I can't blame them too much. A good story sells. As far as they knew, this was a really good story. You had an innocent woman attacked by four boys turned men because they weren't taught the right way to act, because they were poor, because their mama do work, because she wasn't available, what have you. You know the rhetoric I'm talking about. And then they depict the reporters crafting these narratives. After these sound bites from the past, we get a nice clip. In enters Donald Trump. I knew he was involved, I knew how he was involved, I did not know if they were going to touch on it in this series, and I am so glad they did. My first reaction was, oh god, because I didn't actually know what he had said in his interviews related to this case. And I didn't know how political Ava was going to be with his depiction. To be honest, even from the side that doesn't really appreciate what he's doing politically... She depicts him fairly honestly. She lets him run the narrative on how he's going to be seen. And we as the audience get to judge. The actual footage of Donald Trump plays. You see and hear him say, You better believe that I hate the people that took this girl and raped her brutally. You'd better believe it. I don't know if I believe it, but I certainly know that Donald J. Trump learned early that sensationalism sells. I don't know how much press he got. But I do know that he paid, really invested, $85,000 for that full-page ad calling for the death penalty to be reinstated, so that these four teenage boys, oldest being 16, to be killed. And I say invested, because like I said, sensationalism sells. He got on TV. His name is a brand. I want to know really how much he made from all this, but that's not the point. I'm going to talk about the parts with Trump in the front end so we can get his part out because I don't want this podcast to be about him, but it is undeniable that he had an effect in this case. Yusuf's mom, bless her heart. Like, I mean that in a non-demeaning way. I have so much sympathy for her and I admired her strength in the last episode. I just wish that sympathy extended to the other boys. She says they talked themselves into this mess. She knows they didn't do it, but she's advocating for her son, her Yusuf. And to be honest, if I was my child, I might do the same thing. It's just hard to watch someone discount other victims of this case. And I am calling those boys victims. The way I see it, six people were victims in this case. And Yusuf's mom, despite losing a little points for not supporting the other boys, I wanted to give her all the support in the world when I saw how she found out that Trump was calling for the death of her son. She found out from the press. No one deserves to find out their son has been targeted by someone with money and affluence from a yelling throng of the press. I'm glad that she was kind of whisked away because I'm sure what she would have said in that moment would not have helped things because everything really got twisted in this episode. And we knew from the beginning that it was going to, because at the end of the day, we know that these boys get convicted. So later, after Yusuf's mom hears that Trump is calling for her son's death, we see more footage of him and hear and see him say, And I think sometimes a black may think that they don't have the advantage or this or that. But in actuality, today, currently, it's a great, I've said on occasion, even about myself, If I were starting off today, I would love to be a well-educated black because I really believe they do have an actual advantage today. For those of you who somehow may not have heard Trump speak, I did not take anything out of the middle of that quote, and I'm going to give you a moment for your blood pressure to settle down again. If you don't think that a millionaire with a TV show and someone who has done so much branding around their name didn't sway the public opinion, you would just be wrong. (laughs) Because he did. And like I said, this is all the attention I'm going to be giving him on this podcast. And I wish that his part took up even less space. Or no space at all. Moving on from that, this episode really focuses on the trial, which again was really jarring for me. I I didn't anticipate part two to be the the entirety of the trial because there were two trials and we also have some very different experiences between the boys. One of those stark differences is, at least in the beginning, their lawyers are a hodgepodge collection of people. One of them hasn't even worked in the criminal area. He's a divorce lawyer They all have different experience levels and motives and that it really comes out in this episode. I think it was depicted quite well. The emphasis is really on what these people had to face, the mountain they had to climb to prove the innocence of these boys or even get their voices heard. And I said earlier there are six victims of this case and I really don't want to gloss over this because the violence that Patricia Maley endured needs to be acknowledged What she experienced was horrifying, and my heart hurts for her because of one, what she went through, and two, that she had to be dragged through this. Because as we find out in this episode, she remembers nothing of this attack. She remembers leaving work, not the time, and the rest of it's gone, and that's probably for the best, as far as trauma goes. But she didn't see her attacker. At least, she doesn't remember seeing him, so she cannot identify him. And there's no physical evidence. Even when the state you see later tries to manipulate things, and I say the state, I really mean Fairstein, who tried to introduce a sock containing semen that the NYPD quote-unquote missed. She pushed for that to be included. She pushed for District Attorney Elizabeth Letterer who was representing the victim, to do whatever she needed to, to make sure these boys were convicted. And we'll get more into that emotional manipulation later. The first meeting of the lawyers is where you first get a glimpse of the motives and the character of some of these men who would be representing these boys. You also get a sense of the parents pushing for their own son. They just wanted their sons to be home and free and i see the pain that they were in i can see that urge to want to take your son home but instead of presenting a united front they wanted to focus on their children individually at one point yusuf's mom says that she got her son out before the police could trap him and it starts a fight because at the end of the day they all had the same goal all of their sons had been forced in the same way to confess. I wish I could say that presenting a strong front would have helped, but like they said in the episode, the media and everyone around was trying to push this narrative that they were a mob, that they had ganged up and done this to her as a group, so they couldn't present them all at the same time. Ironically, the state moved to separate the cases for one reason and one reason only. They wanted to use as much of the coerced confession tapes as possible, and if they had all of the trials at the same time, they would have so many things redacted from the tapes that they would become useless. And so they split the trials. The first trial is against Ray, Anton, and Yusuf. Ray and Anton had been kept in juvie. Yusuf had posted bail. So had been able to escape some of what the other boys went through. And the second trial that you see towards the end of the episode was Corey, who was 16 and stuck in jail, and Kevin, who's the youngest. When you see Corey in the beginning of this episode, you know he's seen some shit. And I'm kind of glad that we jumped, because to be completely honest, what Corey suffered in prison, I don't want to see on top of everything else. I would have watched it had they depicted it to honor them and what they went through, but I'm not going to lie and say I'm relieved they didn't. But even in this beginning, when I'm explaining how things are corrupt, how Fairstein came out from the get-go with this objective of doing whatever it takes to convict them because what happened to Patricia was disgusting, and it was, she is completely lost in this crafted case. They pieced together these confessions, they forced and coerced these confessions, and when you see the actual officers examined, they contradicted themselves on what the boys said. When you see the videos, the boys contradict themselves, they backtrack. You can tell they are desperate and they just want to say what's right because, as all of them say, they had been promised home if they just said what they needed to say. And honestly, Fairstein says she wants justice for what was done to Patricia, but where's the justice for her in those false confessions? I told you this episode wasn't going to be completely me going through what happened shot by shot, and what I really, really, really want to linger on for a moment is the media and how much that fear-mongering had an effect on public perception, the pressure it caused, On the people involved, and obviously got to the boys, and what happens when affluent people say things and the public holds what they say up as fact. Donald Trump wasn't part of this. He inserted himself. When the lawyers were meeting, one of the moms brought up involving Al Sharpton, but one of the lawyers doesn't want to make it about race. But the fact of the matter was, it was about race from the very, very beginning. As soon as this happened, as soon as the boys went through the park, and Patricia was attacked at the same time, or around the same time, their fates were unfortunately sealed. Later, Elizabeth, the woman representing Patricia, says that this case isn't about fair, it's about politics. And in the U.S., at the time I'm recording this, this weekend there were multiple shootings. And at least one of these shootings, to my knowledge, was directly influenced by politics. And I know I said I wasn't going to mention him anymore in this podcast, but in order to talk about what's so relevant about this episode now, I have to bring Donald Trump up again. His words about the Central Park Five in 1989 incited violence. It very much so influenced the way people thought about this case. He called for the death penalty. You can't get any more inciting violence than that. And now today we have the same man as president, and I don't have to make up news, this quote unquote fake news, to make this fit an agenda. The man himself has come out multiple, multiple, multiple times fear-mongering against different ethnic groups in our country and coming and immigrating to our country. Those things that he said were taken very seriously, and people died as a direct cause of it. The connection between fear-mongering from people who have a platform and actual violence being perpetrated against human beings is undeniable, and we need to take a look around us at what's happening. I'm not going to talk about gun control, at least not in this episode. I just want to point out that words are important, and that when we use our words in our platform to bring hatred towards A certain group, we cannot be surprised when someone enacts violence against that group. I'm not going to link any videos, and I'm not going to go too deeply into it in this episode, like I said. But if we didn't see how dangerous the words Donald Trump was speaking in 1989 were, we need to see how dangerous they are now. Because it is worse. He is dehumanizing an entire group of people, multiple groups of people. It doesn't take a very long look into history to show what happens when people are marginalized and then dehumanized. It is very strange watching this episode and seeing what happened to the Central Park Five. Now knowing the influence that President Trump had in their case and knowing what happened this past weekend, I just wanted to make sure that I communicated that to you. When it came down to the trial, the case was political as far as the lawyers went, Elizabeth not wanting the, to continue the case and then being emotionally manipulated by Fairstein to stand up for Patricia, do it for Patricia, and the horrible things i were done to her. In the courtroom itself, with the jury, there was an emotional battle, and we as humans are emotional creatures. On the one hand, you have three, then two, quote-unquote, perpetrators who the state says, have done these violent acts against this white woman, businesswoman. And as one of the news outlets, she's the exact opposite of what they are. She is white. She has money. She has a good life. And they are poor. Their lives aren't as nice. So they wanted to attack her for that. And as per usual in these cases, the jury was shown very graphic images of what happened to Patricia. We don't see too much of it, but we know it's being passed around. They talk about all the injuries and then they pull Patricia in to speak. And what they use is the only thing they can. The injuries she sustained. So the jury sees these pictures and the the result of that attack and all the state really had to do after they got them emotionally primed was paint a target on someone's back. When you're faced with that level of human suffering, I can't speak for certain because I wasn't there. I wasn't in the jury. But I imagine they had a lot of pressure to convict these boys and a lot of feelings towards them because they are being told that these boys committed this disgusting, vile thing and are looking at these pictures and you can't imagine why one human being would do that to another human being, let alone five boys to one innocent woman. What kind of evidence can you present to people to convince them not to blame someone? when you have a lawyer playing these political games, using your emotions against you. So the trial continues. Various things are talked about and thrown out, and the end result is what I've been saying. The state has no evidence. The boys can't be ID'd. Other victims of harassment that night in the park cannot identify the boys where they had identified the perpetrators that harassed them All the parents thought that their kids' cases were solid, airtight. There was nothing to connect them to the rape and the attack other than circumstantial evidence. They were in the park around the same time. But at least as it was depicted, one person knew what they were facing. Anton, when he thanked his lawyer and said he knows he tried to do his best, that broke my heart. Because like I said in the beginning, we all know where this ends even though his father shows up at the last minute and takes a stand. I don't know if he had been drilled like most lawyers would have the opportunity to do, kind of go through a mock questioning, so that he would know how to respond to the state's lawyer, the district attorney. But he didn't know the mind games, and he didn't answer questions the right way. And Anton knew that at least for him, and later we discover for all of them, it was over from the very beginning. Despite having no evidence... And with all of the emotional manipulation, at the end of the trial, when the verdict is read, is an extremely emotional moment, and this is where I lost it. I had been doing really well. I hadn't cried the whole time. I was trying to be professional, because I'm a professional podcaster. (laughs) Anyway, I was trying to be professional and take notes, but this part, I just could not. I lost it. You see the close-ups of each of the boys' faces when they read out what these charges are. And you hear the quote from Yusuf's mom in the beginning. You watch them grow. You start to think you did a good thing. And then one night, you look away. One night. And when that word comes out, guilty. You see Kevin sitting in a chair in the street. There are lots of flashbacks in between how the boys were, what they went through, and where they're standing now in their suits, hearing that the jury has said that they are guilty of this list of horrific crimes, and you go back to Kevin playing his trumpet. All he wanted to do was play his trumpet, and you know that all of their dreams are over. I think that was a perfect place to leave this episode, and I wonder where they're going to take the next two parts. I'm not going to spoil anything if you don't know anything about the case and you're watching this along with me. This is a, a really heavy show, and again, I want to stress that there were six victims. These five boys who were convicted did not get justice, did not get fair, and that was something that was pushed through the whole episode, that this is supposed to be a fair fight, that justice is supposed to come out of the justice system, but that's not always the case. And the last victim being Patricia, because instead of receiving the justice she deserved, her attacker was free, and these innocent boys were sentenced in his place. And I can't help but wonder what she thought about the court proceedings. If she knew, if she watched these things unfold, if she would have taken the stand had she known what the state was going to do, if she knew the stories of these teenagers. I don't want to put any burden of their conviction on her because she is innocent in that as far as the show goes and as far as i know in the case she was a victim she doesn't remember she testified to all of those things and did not lie but i can't help but feel upset for her too and upset for the lives of these five boys who lived this drama this injustice in real life like i said there's been a lot going on in the us and it deserved more than a tweet, more than an Instagram post. I'm going to be starting a new series called Beyond the News. It's going to be segments of things that are happening that are important. It's not going to be me reading a news story so much as me talking about a news story and then how that affects all of us as a community. We're going to talk about what it's like to feel unsafe how a whole entire ethnic group can be lumped together and made this big target and what happens when people go after them. We're also going to be talking about this wonderful, amazing woman who's a pillar of black history and whose contributions can never be overlooked. Of course, I'm talking about the death of Toni Morrison, author of the book Beloved, and several other wonderful things that she accomplished in her life. So we're going to talk about her and the impact on the black community, the shootings that have happened and the fear that has overtaken a lot of people that i know and people i don't know on the internet. we're also going to talk about what's happening in kashmir in south korea and japan because we none of us live in a bubble. so keep an eye out for the first segment of beyond the news this friday. next week you're going to get not only part three of when they see us on wednesday as a regular upload you are also going to get a collaboration with two very awesome people as a very long bonus episode on friday so i hope that you look forward to all of those things coming in the future continue to watch this show as i do i also hope that you stay safe that you tell the people you love that you love them and you live life to the fullest You know where to find me, all of my social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, some kind of brown. If you want to talk about this more on this show or what's going on in the world more in depth, you can join our private group on Facebook. It's private only to give some peace of mind so that people can express themselves fully. With that said, thank you to Purple Planet for the use of their song, Love Life. And I will see you next week with some more shades of brown.